What is up, y'all? It is your girl, Scardi B, and we are here with a very incredible special interview. If you have listened to any fucking episode of this podcast, you've heard this name, and we have him here in the flesh. I mean, virtual flesh, which is a really good punk band name. I'm writing that one down. Um, (laughs) But we are here with James Montgomery. James, thank you so much for joining me. I mean, we've already been like chopping it up for the last few minutes. And I was like, I got to hit record because it's getting too good. It's getting too good. Um, James, tell us who you are, what you do, and then I'll gas you up further. (laughs) Okay. So hello. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's great to to be on these things, but Hey, I'm James Montgomery. Uh, You might remember me from the decade I spent covering fallout boy and fallout boy adjacent bands at MTV news. I was a writer for Rolling Stone, and now I do tech stuff, so Snapchat, Amazon, stuff like that. But yeah, a, a veteran from back in the days. I mean, I can tell. Like, it's it's like war flashbacks in your eyes for something yeah, that you, we were you, you, coming up with. I, you can tell because I look pretty. I look pretty old now, but that's oh okay. Oh my god! I, I would, think growing old is a privilege. I think yeah, every that's time true. I see these bands like get grayer and like fully form into like these like like i'm like holy shit like thank god they made it because we all know that like when pete turned 28 like there was a party (laughs) like like some type of celebration like y'all we fucking made it so growing old (laughs) is a privilege um and it's a privilege to like be here and be again able to talk about the impact specifically that your writing had on like the community and following because it was it was a lot of an uh, it was a special blend of a pete was like a press machine and he wanted he wanted to document i mean so much to the fact that he made friends or enemies to be kind of like his own take on social media like a place right. where he can vlog and that was the birth of cobra cam tai tv and like oh yeah baby <laughs> oh i'm wow. going there um that uh, was yeah. that was my mtv i mean also mtv mtv but that was my mtv <laughs> well mtv mtv wasn't really mtv at that point and that's kind of like because i started at mtv in 2004 so mm-hmm. Um, basically like I was doing freelance writing. I was writing for spin magazine back in the day doing, I was doing a day job and then writing for spin at night. And they pitched me a couple of these like bands to watch features. And one of them was fallout boy. So I did an interview at my desk at TV guide for spin magazine on the phone with Pete. TV guide. Wow. Oh man. Still a a magazine. Inexplicably still a magazine. But, um, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, I, we hit it off and he was just like a great dude to talk to and really open. And then I think maybe like as soon as that issue had hit stands, I got hired at MTV News. And so I basically did the same exact interview with him at MTV News. And that really kicked off this, you know, friendship and just relationship that we have and really opened the door to a scene, a ton of bands, a ton of producers, a ton of artists, and honestly, just connections with so many fans you know like yeah. you know just that i met like we're talking off camera about some people that we, we know from you know back in the day and stuff so shout out ally let's go name Allie, tags. Name tags. there we go know the vibes honestly I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're gonna get to the south by experience don't worry there. don't worry we're, we're, yeah. we're gonna get there but it was a wild it's a wild ride and it's just great to kind of like now look back on a little bit because like we were saying before we started there's a lot of this stuff that i'm like wow, first of all, one, I got paid to cover some like really dumb shit. And then two, like, yeah. I don't remember doing this. So it's it's <laughs> beneficial for me as well to kind of look back on these things. I think everybody was kind of like in like a little haze back then. So I mean, mm-hmm. more, more importantly now, but like, I, I think that I also forgot. And then the hyper fixation and the research that this podcast takes you in, I go deep. I go like the Google like search, like I'm on like the 16th. O. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, like I am, right. I'm looking for specifically like live journals and like blog pieces that have been archived. Cause that's like the real, real, you know, so fire example, up the way back like, machine. Yeah. Like oh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Me a way back machine. I'm probably on some like NSA list somewhere. Cause it's like, <laughs> what is she looking for? Um, specifically right. on like the 2007 fall boy website when it used to be fall boy rock and had like Franklin yeah. in the front. Like I was like, y'all weren't fucking there. And yeah. it's okay because I'm going to take you there. I was a boardie. So yeah. I was I was very active on the message board. But what's so exciting is that these people that are in the message boards and were these big fans are now people working in the music industry, people making decisions. And it's like, I know that there's an executive out there, someone who's going to have like a Panic at the Disco tattoo or like a One Direction tattoo. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how you've seen fandom uh, develop from what it was to what it is now? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And I think what's kind of amazing is you look at a band like Fall Out Boy, who, you know, really came up in a, you know, this scene and a scene that formed 
in a lot of ways so quickly and so globally, but just the fact that it was born kind of a new medium. This is kind of the first era where there were message boards and, you know, social media as it were. And so the interesting thing about them is like, you know, that was now 20 years ago. So Fall Out Boy goes on tour now and you have, they've become this kind of band where there's sort of two generations of fans, which is amazing. Yeah, Um, fans with their kids always gets me. But most bands don't get to have that sort of career. So that in and of itself is amazing. But just all the kids, and it was like, cities big and small all around the world because i covered fall boy a lot and they did a lot of stuff so yeah but talking to all these kids i was always struck by just how you know their passion um their connection but also their creativity and i think they really were came of age in a time where you could harness these sort of tools digital tools to you know promote yourself make your own stuff get yourself out there and i think that's only really kind of laid the seeds i mean i think that Another thing is like a guy, you know, I went to school in, in University of Florida in Gainesville, and that's where Fueled by Ramen started. And so mm-hmm. I actually used to work at a place, a newspaper right across the street from the Fueled by Ramen office. So wow. guys like John Janik, who grew up in that thing and is now like the head of like, I don't know, Universal Music, one of the huge record labels, a guy who came up in that scene was sort of born of these sort of ethics and things like that, and applied those to this global conglomerate with a ton of success. So it's a real testament to just everything I said, the passion you know, you know, it's great to have people in music who care about music and care about oh, artists and things like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So yeah, it's, it's really been, you know, you see, we're still seeing it today in terms of bands and just, you know, connections and just what people put out there. It's still really creative and amazing too. So I was always struck by that right from the jump. And like, you know, I was a bit older and I came in there and I'm kind of like an indie rock dude. It was, and I still am sort of an, an indie rock guy. So a lot of the stuff, you know, I kind of look at these artists and, the scenes and be like, oh, I don't know, but just getting in there and spending time, it was, it really changed my opinion about so many, so many things. So yeah, yeah it was and really especially, amazing. And especially the take on women. I feel like, uh, as like we were labeled fangirls and we were, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. these fangirls were some of the most influential voices in promoting these bands and, and making sure that people were hearing about them because they were constantly posting about them and probably the people who started the most fan pages in a time where it was like it was important to like have that icon that had your favorite band and like have it as your myspace song and your statuses and i think about that where it's like the fangirl becoming the ultimate promoter and like where they are now like i like me i now work in the music industry but i was definitely one of them labeled as something that was bad when really we we created so much traction uh for Absolutely. a lot of these guys to build um right. so i think about that often and and we talked a bit about being like the consumer right understanding what we were what we're actually like learning about and like intaking but we talked a little bit also about like pr- pete was a press machine right like yeah. he was very very ready to be open and honest and authentic and like be proactive about that and a time where like right. press was like oh no like don't talk to me but also like here's all my information how yeah. did that change your perspective on like bands that do do that versus don't do that versus caught up with that that press was important versus kind of like stayed stagnant yeah well i i will say above all else it made my job in, in incredibly easy because we were being told <laughs> You know, this was like you had to write five stories a day every day. And it was like right when they were starting to put page views on things. So the, you could yeah. see the content machine was starting to fire up. But yeah. it was amazing to cover, you know, Fall Out Boy or Panic at the Disco because literally anything would happen uh, in the world. And you could fire off an email to Pete or, you know, uh, Brandon Yuri, And they would be like, here's five paragraphs. And so you're like, all right, that's a couple stories there. Um, but they, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, again, it was this time where, you know, how artists connected with fans was fundamentally changing. And even, you know, early days of MTV, when I was there, you know, if you wanted to talk to someone, there's some breaking news, something was happening, you had to go through their publicist, their publicist, go to the management, go to the artist. And so it's like, you're spending a half a day minimum waiting to hear back from us. And so these artists were able to cut out a lot of those middlemen, which really made those the publicist kind of pissed off because they'd be like, what the hell is this? But in, a, in another way, you know, I guess I didn't see it coming, but it also kind of really cut out a lot of the music journalists because mm. and you eventually got to this point where you didn't need an MTV News to tell you what your artists were doing or thinking because the artists could tell you themselves. And so Pete was like a real early adapter of that. And I think he really got the game, knew how to play the game. And as someone who came up, 
you know, in, in the nineties, you know, artists, bands, I like, they didn't want, press was sort of seen as this bad thing to do, you know, and promotion was sort of like gauche and you didn't do any of these things. And it so, was cringe, yeah. Yeah. And so to see that really change for a myriad of reasons, the technology, but also because a lot of these artists, maybe not follow boys level, but weren't getting a ton of help from the labels. And so they almost had to take it upon themselves to do that. But, um, yeah. you know, it worked out great for the, the fans. Great for me at the time. I think now 20 years on, we're sort of looking at the media landscape and it's kind of like, but it's just how things progress. And so um, I was right there on the kind of crest of the wave and it really helped me um, just sort of connect with these bands, connect with fans and also meet my daily, my daily quota of, of stories because hundred percent. Yeah. Pete so, was a machine. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent like a PR machine and either a PR nightmare or dream. Um, just someone who is able and willing and wanting to talk. Honestly, probably had most of those answers canned up and ready because he's like yeah. drafted it 13 times. Right. Um, talk to me a bit about, um, I would like to hear a little bit more about like stories that you do remember that were kind of like, I'm really proud of these or this was information that's like really funny or like looking back, I'm like, Oh my God, as well as some of them that didn't make the cut. Cause it's like, we're writing a ton and like, maybe not everything's a plus. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I think to, to go back to what you said a few minutes ago about like fangirls, the idea of, of you know, women in, in this sort of genre. One of the things that I actually was most kind of proud about writing was like, the whole Laura Jane Grace story with Against Me, where yes. you know she was transitioning, and, and especially at a time in a genre of music, you know, punk, where you know it was still a, it, pro- it still is probably, a, but a boys' club, and there's a ton of misogynism and tra- misogynism and transphobia, and so getting to speak with her about that and really write about that on a national kind of platform um, was really gratifying and really amazing, and just uh, you know the stuff I heard from kids going through similar things was um, really just great and still stands out as one of the things that I will always remember. Um, but just in, like, I think there was a lot of stuff that I would write that sometimes I didn't go through the publicist or the publicist would get really mad about it. That would get pulled because it was always like right around the VMAs. And so they'd be like, mm-hmm. so-and-so is not going to perform the VMAs. So not fall up with specific, but I was obviously big on my chemical romance. And they were another one of the bands of the, that I was Newark, had to New report Jersey, on all the time. Stand up. Like, and I, yeah, a, a, band, a great band. I actually, I dig my chem a lot, but this was like right when they were going in to do the album that was going to be black parade. And so it was like total secrecy. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up somehow getting an email address of the, the, the guy who was producing the record. Who's it's not Neil, but his name totally escaped me, but the, whoever the producer of that record was, and I was emailing with him and then I got on the phone with him and he told me all this sh- shit about the oh, album that would become the Black Parade. He was like, this album is going to be called The Rise and Fall of My Chemical Romance. Here's all the stuff they're doing. So I wrote this story that was all about that. And like, you know, it turns out it wasn't called that, but we didn't know that for years. But anyway, so I broke all this news about it. And this was right when they were going to getting ready to premiere Black Parade at the VMA pre- pre-show or the VMAs when they, they were like on top of Rockefeller Center. Yes. And it was like this crazy thing. And so I, you know, my managing editor went to the higher ups and was like, this is a solidly reported story where it's sourced, you know, we stand by the story. And the heads of MTV were like, yeah, but we're trying to get them to do the VMA. So it's like, cut the story. So the story like disappeared entirely. Um, Stuff like that. I, you know, I just think there was also a lot of stuff too with, you know, Pete, when he and Ashley Simpson were pregnant. And I think that they were having Bronx was the, Mm -hmm. yeah, when the, the kid was born. Um, so there was all these rumors out there about it, that them being pregnant. And so I actually hit up Pete to get this, to get the official word. And he straight up told me, he's like, she's not pregnant. So I was like, okay. So I wrote the story that got picked up in tons of places. And then it turns out that he was like, just kidding, dude, she is pregnant. We didn't want to say anything yet. So he kind of hung me out to dry in that instance, but I was like, Hey, you know, but you and the entirety of the fall up boy fandom, because at when, after the dark times, when they returned February 3rd, he was like, rumors are not true right. <laughs> and then yeah, every four there's yeah. like we're back bitches you know and there's like this meme on tiktok where it's like it's like pete just turns and it's like this man just lied to you and that's been mm-hmm. the entirety of what it's right. like to be a pete Wentz fan like i'm like right. i i believe everything and nothing and i also don't ask for explanation so right I, and, and so, but as a journalist a to the yeah. madness yeah right as a journalist that's kind of dicey ground because you're like all right he said it i'm gonna go but, with this it's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was it was basically a lot of stuff. Whenever kind of like the day to day reporting would kind of run into the uh, 
I suppose, like corporate you know, overlords. There was a thing that I actually wrote too that got pulled kind of famously. It was like, I used to do a weekly column that was called mm-hmm. Bigger Than The Sound. And one of them was about kind of upcoming albums that were definitely going to suck, which is like also like, you know, what a like kind of a snap pissy thing to, it to was, write it about. It was <laughs> the aughts. Right. Like hate was the language. Yeah. So I wrote about how Panic at the Disco was in there too. And it ended up being that album that was pretty odd, which actually I think is actually really a great album. Um, but it was basically like the, I wrote about 50 cents to album and how it was definitely going to suck. And then the story went live. And then like two hours later, I get called in managing a, my managing editor's office. And he's like, Hey, so 50 cent is in the building and he really wants to talk to you about the story. And I was like, Oh, oh shit. And they're, and they're like, no. so they were like, we're not going to let him up here. And I was like, Oh, okay. And, uh, but the story ended up getting pulled because 50 was upset that I said his album was, was going to suck. But I mean, like in hindsight, I probably would have pulled it. I would have been pissed too, but yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, that's like, street rules. Like these are not little <laughs> yeah. indie bros. Like, like Curtis will I mean, look fuck you up. Like yeah, he will not, I, he will not be 50. He will be Curtis. He'll give you right. his ID and then fuck you up. Like, <laughs> right. What was the thing without like uh, the, the Randall Emmett or whatever heard the, 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 that dirtbag guy who was married to someone on Vanderpump rules and he owed 50 cent money and 50 oh. was like money, you know, money by tomorrow Emmett or something like that. And just like terrified of this dude. 50 is incredible. Like it's, uh, it's Cur- Curtis 50 social media version next level oh, so 10 out of 10 yeah. but like uh-huh. we'll also and and what's the difference because you were talking a lot about these rock bands but it's like these like these hip-hop figures like at that yeah. time like probably now still will come and like actually pull up like i think that that's the biggest i think it's so fucking punk where it's like yo it's not yeah. just like music like this is actually my life and like right it, there's fucking like hood and street rules to it um what was it like you know being able to talk about the merging of those two worlds in fallout boys music at that time right. and just kind of trying to be as civil and and factual as possible well i think that it was really interesting first of all because you know again the way this band was formed and the the, the dudes in fallout boy um, you can tell they grew up in an era where you could so much music was so available to to you so easily, and so you could see the influences of, of hip hop and R and B, and then obviously you know like with like Joe and uh, the, the Andy, you had a lot more or the, a lot more of the kind of like you know hardcore punk stuff like that. But there was a lot of stuff that you know kind of seeped into that you know their music, where they would go, um, subsequent albums, but just what they were influenced by and that sort of ethos. And like, you know, there was, you know, I met Lil Wayne through uh, Pete Wentz. You know, I was in the room with, with Kanye. I never actually talked to Kanye, but like I met Babyface, like who was hanging out with them. Like, you know, just, uh, you know, Tyga, all these guys, stuff like Travi McCoy, um, just a lot of hip hop artists that they really kind of brought into the fold that they were influenced by. You could tell, you know, they would put them on records and stuff like that. But like, you know, I always just kind of, it, in a way, it really made sense because the two kind of genres speaking broadly, you know, there's a lot of similarities in terms of like yeah. the drive, the output, the artistry, those sort of things where it was like you had to really get out there, you know, not to use the term bootstraps, but really like bootstrap yourself up because at the time they're, you know, it's not like, you know, hip hop is now where people are suddenly like, wait a minute, it's the greatest form of art America's produced in, uh, yeah. in the 20th century. It was sort of still at the time kind of seen as kind of a marginal thing. And so, um, which is not to say the Fall Boy, you know, helped elevate these artists, but they were at least willing, you know, to share the stage with them and, you know, put them on records. Stuff Literally, like that. Like, with 50 Cent when they took them right? on tour. And, That's and right. Yeah. In between. I mean, and, let me not even get started with, like, the comments that I read about that and just the yeah. severe, weird racism that was, like, felt by that. Because it's like, I feel like mm-hmm. people like me were reading that and being like, yeah. You know, like, am I welcome here? Like, are my friends welcome here? Um, and, and I think that was really tough. But going back to talking about, like, kind of who they surrounded themselves with, um, P- I, I say that Pete wanted to be a rapper so fucking bad. Yeah, like, I'm sure. I, like, yeah. like, there's no way that Decay Dance wasn't, like, like his young money and like right. being able to sign these rappers and like be a part of that, have a clothing line. I literally just got my clandestine industries wallet. I bid on it. Wow. I won. So wow. I'm just starting to like slowly collect everything. Just yeah. like healing inner child shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, through clandestine uh, no, industries. No, you're absolutely right there too. And I know that like Pete, particularly this era, you know, it was, 
obsessed with with young money with with you know and and just sort of baby and Lil Wayne and that whole thing and I you know I think you're right on I think that was really the kind of like model he saw and wanted to emulate like you know when I was doing I did FNM TV which was a show with yes. Pete and like that's how he, you I know, mean your LinkedIn on. don't let me dox you but your <laughs> yeah. LinkedIn has a picture of like you and Diddy I believe well, that was, <laughs> so that was when like they put me on there and they're like your job is to critique the music videos. I was like, okay. So oh, the first couple episodes, I would be like, this video stinks or like, this is terrible. And so Diddy was on there with this dude named uh, Donnie Klang, who was like his like white R&B handsome hunk sure. guy. Yeah. And they showed the video and I kind of came back after the video. I was like, I don't think this dude's going to make it, which I'm like, in height, like, I was like, how did they put that on there? But Diddy was there and he like got real upset. And so he yeah. was like on camera, just like comes up and he's like, who are you? You're a hater, blah, blah. He's like yelling at me. And it was like me and like, we'll pull Pink. the fuck up, like was, hug I, out with Biggie, like, like we'll like, fuck you up. <laughs> but and I was like, oh my God. And then the next week he came and brought me flowers to apologize, which was very nice. So that was the photo is that, but is him apologizing to me. But um, that's yeah, so very was, funny. The context yeah, is even funnier. I know. I got a public apology from Diddy. Who, who, how many people can say that? But I, I think the thing is, so in FNM TV, I'd fly from New York to LA for basically like the weekend. I'd spend a lot of time with Pete, you know, his family. I basically would hang out in his like pool house in his cabana because I was really, really, really close with uh, his former tour manager, a guy named Dan Sue, who was also going as Korean Tom Cruise back then. Oh, uh, because, as, yeah. as a meet and greet person, ah. all those. Oh, uh, yeah. Very, very familiar. Right. That dirty. Let's give it up for oh dirty. God. Wherever Jeez. dirty is right now, another Florida boy. Yeah. We love Dude. dirty. I think about Jackson dirty Mills at least once a yeah. week. I, at yeah. least once a week and like in that in their new album they they say um love my life i love my life and i'm like that's a dirty reference right like right. if you fucking know like <laughs> i love my life like, right and every single he was the original like air horn for fallout yeah yeah he was like he was kind of like their default hype man and slash guy who would do dumb shit on stage all the time and stuff like that but yeah no like all those dudes are hanging out but like you know we would hang out in, in Pete's pool, pool house, me, Dan, Pete, um, get up to some bad things and just constantly play uh, Lil Wayne mixtape. So it's like the yeah. drought and like, uh, you know, and I think maybe the Carter three was coming out then, but all this stuff and just nonstop stuff like that. So long way to talk to your original point. Yes, I definitely think they, Pete unquestionably really admired those artists, admired everything about him and really wanted to kind of form, you know, formulate his band like that. And honestly, like, I think, as you could tell, an interesting thing about Fall Out Boy is just how their albums, how they've evolved as a band, how their artists, their albums are very different. But you can really tell sort of who's driving the album based on kind of like how it sounds and things like that. And there's definitely some albums you can tell that Pete was really behind the wheel. And then there's some you can tell where he kind of laid back a little bit. But yeah, the, the hip hop influence in that band is super interesting and just uh, kind of really influential and also showed that you could do rock and, and hip-hop in a way that wasn't like fucking like Limp Bizkit or new you know that kind of stuff but yeah. and also say it sound very of the time and very contemporary and like yeah. you know doing these like mixed like you know they did like this you know like a Kanye jumped on their song and it's like stuff like that is just you know have you heard the mashup uh mixtape that came out yes yeah yeah okay and honestly yeah. like I heard it because you hit me up and I was like I should listen to this and honestly one thing I was like wow I really I remembered this instantly, but also I was like, I totally forgot about so much of this stuff at the time. And yeah. there was stuff where I didn't know if it was ever going to happen. Cause like a lot of, another thing about Fall Out Boy is they would be like, we're doing 10 projects. And then like nine and a half of them would like never amount to anything. And so, um, but yeah, just like, you know, it's also really interesting to be at a time where it was like, you know, Kanye was around a lot, Lil Wayne and stuff like that. And their ascendants sort of like, they weren't, who they were now, you know, and so yeah. to be there and kind of witness them do, do you know, in their early ish stages was really interesting. And like, honestly, to this day, VMA wise, you know, like it's turned out to be kind of this sort of like touchstone cultural moment, whatever. But like the VMA you know, suite, it, well, not even the VMA suite, which was awesome. But I'm talking specifically about like the, when Kanye got on stage when Taylor won the award oh, and he w went yeah. off on her and, you know, all that shit and how it, you know, Taylor, you know, so could, she's eternally the victim. You know, she could always be the martyr or whatever. But the thing about that that was amazing is like, so I was covering that for MTV. So I was like the in-house reporter because I knew Fall Out Boy and a lot of the artists. And so before the show started, 
Pete and the guys were sitting in their seats in Radio City Music Hall, and Pete's like, come here. I go over there, he's like, dude, he's like, Kanye is hammered right now. He's like, he has this bottle of Hennessy. He made me take a pull off of it. He's shit-faced. I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, file that away for later. And then, like, you know, there's all these amazing photos of Kanye with, like, a bottle of Hennessy, and he's just, like, grabbing, like, Amber Rose and just, like, shit So, yeah, I was like, oh, something might happen. And it turns out a lot of shit happened with Kanye that night. But it was basically because, in part, he was, like, just hammering. Yeah. The Henny all night, but uh, yeah. So it was a nice, it was a nice uh, entrance into that whole world and stuff like that. Yeah, and and the 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 authenticity, honestly, about just being fucking human, and it's like right. you love it or hate it, because that's the attitude. It's the right. attitude with punk bands. It's the attitude with mm-hmm. rappers. That's why I was like, they are one in one. Now, I agree. James, yeah. talk to me a little bit about the transition between writing to on camera because that that's that's a big transition and like how it changed like what you communicated how you communicated now that you have to do it almost live right well i mean first of all i was like i didn't want to do it like they were (laughs) i was you did great dude i mean i discovered chromeo through fnmtv i remember the second i heard mama's boy and he was like this is the song of the century this right right here like it might as well have been like 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 fucking like a new jay-z song dropper yeah this is it right here like and i was like you're right (laughs) i know they also i mean i remember they had like uh, a band i still like no age was on there like a sub pop Mm -hmm. band that had this wild music they really interesting stuff like that but no so a lot of it was just because i just wanted to i was a rock journalist i grew up you know reading rock journalism that's what i wanted to do but you know i guess I had a pretty good rapport with a lot of these artists who were also really big at the time. So, you know, again, my relationship with Fall Out Boy and those sort of bands kind of pulled me into this era where they were like, you know, you do these really great interviews. Why don't we start doing some of these on air? And I was like, okay. So we would do, at first it was like 10 minutes at the top, you know, at 9.50 PM or 8.50 PM. And it's like, oh, the rest of this interview is on mtvnews.com. But it'd be like a band would have, um, you know, a new video or something coming out. So I started doing these really long interviews and they, you know, again, then they were like, well, you could do this. So you could definitely do red carpet stuff. So then I was doing all the award shows, like I'd like on the VMA, like talking to Gaga and like Jared Leto and all these people. And just, uh, you know, that was really the the way in. But the first like real gig I had doing that was FNM TV, which was entirely because of Pete. Like I, Pete mandated, he obviously never told me this, but I was smart enough to put two and two together. I was like, oh, this is definitely because Pete wanted me on this show. So he really kind of lifted me up there and kind of gave me this spotlight. And then it was just this like crazy world that I had no idea about, but it was fascinating to be on camera. They're like, hey, so you got to do this thing. Would you like a brand new suit? I'm like, absolutely. I like it. So, I mean, I still, there are probably still some like clothes that I got from MTV in like 2002. 10 or 11 that so I still have. So what James is trying to tell so, everybody is that yeah. the body is snatched. It Good. hasn't moved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Everything's still right in, in the same place. But uh, I, I mean, I don't say I can still wear the clothes well, but I still have the clothes, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, and, and just, you know, it really was just crazy. And just stuff like being able to, you know, we did an on-camera interview live that went to the website dot uh, com with Laura Jane Grace, who was her first on-camera interview. And again, to go back to that, it's like, a lot of it was kind of stupid bullshit. Like here, you know, surface, here's the Nokia. Surface, surface, there was some, yeah. there was some opportunity to do some good work. Like we, I remember also one year at the VMAs um, during the red carpet, the pre-show, it was when uh, pussy riot was really, you know, they were being jailed and sort of there's this big thing, but they kind of did this appeal to green day. And so live on the VMA red carpet, I got to talk to green day about pussy riot. And then also like say that, say pussy like a million times <laughs> like live on through i was like there's oh. a pussy counter yeah, on, yeah. like so the it side was, of the screen I mean, yeah ding 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 so it was great to do stuff like that it was also really amazing to really see you know the kind of the way that there are guys like uh sway sway is amazing a great dude like just still one of the yeah. best dudes but the way a guy like that an established guy john norris was another really you know great person the way the to see how these straight up pros were able to be live on air for minutes and like a minute live on air feels like an it's eternity a long time and so yeah. you know they would you know as you, you host stuff you know you're just like uh you get up there and you're like so the time watch is the different yeah yeah it really is and so and the worst thing is you see a producer behind the camera being like stretch stretch you're like oh god but to see the way they were able to handle that and just the ease and then also just the way they 
kind of took me under their wing, even though they didn't have to. And like Sway's just like an amazing Sway. So I have great John, great John Norris stories that like, you know, John, you know, he was really into the scene too for a while there. He really was feeling it. Um, he really liked Panic at the Disc. He loved uh, Ryan Ross a lot. So, but just, case, yo. Oh, where, where in the world is Ryan Ross? Yeah, Ryan Ross, would you please stand up? We yeah, want to check he, on you. How are you doing, hon? Yeah, you know, like... he, I, you know, I moved, my girlfriend and I just moved to Chicago for, well, congratulations. From, thank you, from LA. So I was in LA for about seven years. And so, I, you know, I was kind of emailing with Ryan Ross a bit there, and I think he was in L.A., and he was, he'd always be like, oh, yeah, you should hang out. We've got this project coming out, and then it would be like nothing for like a year and a half. So I don't know what Ryan Ross is doing. But, um, yeah, anyways, I give these really long-winding, you know, again, long-winding answers because it's like it's really, there's so much that I got to see and do, and it was, a lot of it was because of my contact with these bands. And I suppose also because I was, a you know, a pretty good interviewer and I could write, but... Truly, Absolutely. because of my relationship with a lot of these bands, it really opened a lot of doors for me. And like, you know, leads to stuff like this, where I get to do this now, you know, a, a decade who later. Would've, who would have thought you're here Not with me. Scardi B on a, on a show called Sugar We're Going In? Like, come Not on. me, yeah. <laughs> hey, whatever. You know what else I'd um, be doing right now? I, I'd be doing, I would just be doom scrolling uh, right now. So this is uh, much better than doom thank scrolling. You, thank you for <laughs> doom scrolling your mental uh, f- timeline with me. I think mm-hmm, that's really mm-hmm. what's going on right now. Yeah. So... It wouldn't be Fallout Boy. It wouldn't be hip hop without some fucking beef. Um, obviously, have to touch on the killers because my take, and I feel like we have very different takes, and that is okay. That's uh-huh. why we are we are here. Is that when Pete Wentz is taking the high road, <laughs> you fucked up. Like you right. are screaming at a wall. Like because right. I'm I'm sure. Like I know Pete loves to like loves the verbal tussle because the 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 infamous stories that when he met Travis McCoy, he like sized them up was like, Oh bro, you got tattoos, bro. And like Travis was like, yeah, black people get tattoos. And I'm like, are they going right. to fight or kiss? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you so, never knew. Right. Hearing, hearing that out. I mean, probably both for all of them all the time yeah. in that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, this, this beef was kind of like the first like big, like fandom versus fandom band versus band type thing that how was it kind of, knowing both sides and hearing it from both angles and being per the person communicating. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that I, that this has become this historical battle or like this like yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. But it was, it was, a, there was like, I think that was like a, a big beef era. Like there was a Fuck lot yeah. of beef. Like I'm saying that was the that hate, era. like the, the, the international like haters ball, like <laughs> yeah. it was Play all... haters ball. It's like, hate, 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 hate. hate, hate. Yeah. Hate. yeah. <laughs> for, for reviewers, for pitchfork, for anything yeah. bands. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and also there's like a, this much of me that kind of misses the, the hate era. Like, yeah. I'm like, maybe we could bring like bring back some hateration. No, because no, then like I, I they'd get that... canceled for being haters. So cancel culture yeah, has yeah, it's just a fine like... line now. Yeah. <laughs> it's really killed off the hating industry. But I mean, honestly, it just sort of came about because, you know, again, the killers, I, I bring it all the way back. When I was freelancing for Spin Magazine and I wrote the bands to watch piece on, on Fall Boy, literally the second one I wrote was about the killers. So in some way I was intrinsically linked with these two bands forever. But um, yeah, it, it just came from just having, interviewing those bands a ton and having two guys in Pete and uh, uh, Brandon Flowers who um, certainly were willing to talk about a lot of the things. And um, this beef in particular, I think was just, a, you know, started because they shared an A&R guy. And I think, Brandon Flowers is like in his feelings about how he wasn't getting as much time with Rob Stevenson to someone else, which is like, as like, you know, the grounds for beef is like a little shaky, but just like, again, it would be like, okay, so I did an interview with Brandon Flowers and he talked about the bravery, talked about Pete Wentz. And I'm like, oh, like, so I was like, there's like some hot scoops right there. So you put them out there and then like the next day you'd be like, here's Pete's shot back. And so it was great for me as a writer because it was like every day you got a couple of those and they would just back and forth, back and forth. Oh, Brendan did did an interview in with the NME where he talks about Fall Boy. I'm like, Pete, here's a link. What do you think? And so, oh, um, you were the really shit instigator. I oh, love like, it. I was, dude, I was, I was stirring it, not like not of course professionally. I had to, but uh, yeah, they were um, definitely like, yeah, they it, were gonna fight. Pete once would have given Brendan no. Flowers his new face sooner than later, so it's fine. That's right. That's right. But yeah. Um, um, yeah, just like a, they were like, yeah, just the most pointless. And you could tell, like, Pete had these like amazing responses, and like you said, he was kind of. I think even he was sort of like, 
this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I, like, even like, for him, he's like, reminded. I love beef. Like, love it. And yeah. even this is like, bro, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I don't I, like this. I think, I, I think there was something, I, some story that I saw that I think I wrote, but it, I'm pretty sure where it was literally like, the headline was like, Pete Wentz invites Brendan Flowers to dinner or something like some shit like that. I was like, that's a story I'm writing on MG. No, my favorite was, you know, like all this is happening. But, you know, when I'm in his hometown and his friends and family asked to be on the guest list, I get them on. And I was like, which also is like, like, I I thought that was so like, I mean, I'm biased. Like, I will literally catch a case for anybody in Fallout Boy. Like, please, like, take all of these hands. Um, But that was such like a gorgeous like just a yeah. very pete I mean, answer I, exactly i love that one but also like i unapologetically love the killers i think the killers are a great man yeah. i still it's love the killers so it was like i was torn i was like oh but um that was also a great era of the killers because it was right when they're doing like that batshit samstown yeah. album and they were like we got something to prove and so like every time you talk to them it would just be like an event like it's it's the mormon blood running in them like something between them and panic at the disco like i'm sure they were like coursing through their veins like in the same test tube i don't know i don't know how to explain it but it's it's same energy similar energy (laughs) right right yeah it was a what a time what What a a time and i mean when talking about that like I wanted to bring up a little bit about like media literacy and like what we were being fed versus what we knew um, nowadays where like me, myself and a Twitter can be like the source of truth. You know, what did it feel like? Right. I know you were like, eh, like I feel like, eh, but I also have to work. Like what were those inner monologue, like ethic battles like? Wow. I mean, I think to say that I had like ethical dilemmas about this stuff is to really elevate <laughs> my job to this kind of level. But I mean, I was like just talking to bands about yeah. stuff. I mean, I was really fortunate that, you know, well, I suppose you could fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. Like, I never really had anyone say anything that was like crazy racist or any anything like that. So I, I never really got into there. It was like something like I have to omit it or they of, will be like ruined. Yeah. Right. Like, this is on the record, off the record kind of thing. I mean, I just really had, I honestly was just like, I guess, you know, when I t- do these interviews and talk with people who are like, this thing you did or this thing you did, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I did that. I, on, at the time, was just like heads down. I just wanted to do my stuff. I still, to this day, all I want to do is like, get my shit done and then like, be done. Yeah. Like, I hate, I just want to be done with it. So I don't know if I had a ton of ethical dilemmas. I was just kind of like, grinding these stories out. And that's also why you know, when you said something about like, you know, reading my stuff and just like, you know, remembering me to me, that's incredible. Like, I, I didn't really think <laughs> that, that was my news. Was like that was my CNN. I was like, yeah. James Montgomery just posted. Ain't no party like a Jamon wow. party. We got to read. I mean, yeah, that was it, the ice cream headaches. Like, oh, yeah, like big, yo, shout out to ice cream headaches, live journal, holding yeah. us the fuck right. down. Oh, love that crew so i mean so basically what i would i would just get in in the morning and you know this also seems like something crazy like it's like from the 1800s but i would get in and i would check like 10 sites so i'd be like oh absolutepunk.net ice cream head i would just go through these sites to see what was going on that day and then how could i turn that into a story so i was just grinding through these things but also you know a, a real testament to the fact that like a lot of stories a lot of rumors I would follow up on for stories where stuff that I would see on message boards yeah. where it's like so-and-so broke up or so-and-so did that. So fans and just kind of being able to inter- interact with that community on some level really also helped my job and helped me find a lot of, you know, like when I think Brent Wilson, someone left Panic, one of the original bases, Brent Wilson, yes. the original bases for Panic in the Disco. When he left the band, that was entirely because I saw something, someone wrote something on a message board somewhere wow. and just following up with that. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I was just knocking out these stories and then, um, you know, this is honestly before you could even see how stories would yeah. do before this era, before page views. So it was just kind of putting things out into the void. And like the only way you could measure success is, I mean, like shit, I would go on absolute punk when they would link to my story and I would just read the comments uh, and like course. see where the story goes next. And like, uh, so it was this kind of, uh, uh, um, symbiotic relationship with fans and these sites yeah. that you know, informed what I wrote and stuff like that. I completely, but, but sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. I didn't even answer your question, but I, so I think the thing is like this era we're in in now on one hand is fabulous in terms of there are less barriers to getting information out there. The downside um, is that there's no one vetting, checking this information. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that that is really dangerous for, well, this podcast took a heavy turn. This is dangerous for democracy. But I mean, there's a lot of, there, you know, we're past the era of gatekeepers uh, on some level i gatekeeping is obviously not great mm-hmm. because you know you should but i wish there were more sort of abilities to um vet this information at least someone who gives it a look before it goes out to the yeah, gate you know and things absolutely. like that you know there's um this dude who used to i won't name his name but he used to be kind of the head of mtv middle towards my end of the era and he ended up going from MTV to Facebook and he was running Facebook news. And so this was like 2014, 15. So he was in charge of Facebook news and his whole big thing was, he's like, we're going to get rid of the humans and we're just going to have an algorithm determine what kind of news news is served to readers. And it's like, Oh, you inadvertently destroyed democracy because that just led to those Russian bots and all these stories. Everybody agrees with each other. Right. And just sort of like this dude who kind of automated news and then also just eliminated all fact checking truth stuff like that from the news which has really dangerous results um but certainly nothing i did ever rose to the level of like uh, it was your jay-z article it ruined it it was like the butterfly effect like you clicked like said (laughs) and publish and like everything went downhill from there can you tell me a bit so obviously you were kind of like the person for fallout boy to write about them especially during like these really critical times obviously infinity on high we had it jay-z babyface the babyface even like did thanks for the memories on tiny desk which was like which was my i mean it was it it was babyface gate i got calls people were texting (laughs) me i had missed facetimes i was like doing a morning show at that time and i was just like (laughs) <laughs> yeah happened? like yeah. what happened is babyface okay please save him please save me right. but it was just that that it yeah. was just that important but then we get into the the dark ages where they weren't broken up yeah. it was a hiatus right. what was what was that transition out and then kind of seeing them as solo artists i know you specifically um also got to see patrick's very first solo appearance yeah. at south by southwest yeah. uh south by southwest. what, what yeah. was that period like it's, I mean, I guess it's, I suppose it's sort of inevitable in the cycle of any band. Um, Infinity on High is the one, I actually, it's the only platinum record plaque I have, is I have an Infinity on is High platinum up? record plaque. It's in my hallway. Yeah, yeah, Okay, maybe I get a yeah, picture yeah. later. Sure, I'll send you a picture. Sure, why not? But, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's the only one I ever got, uh, you know, but, um, you know, I think it was really interesting because, again, we talked about this band and sort of the influences and kind of like, you could see them all kind of coming together to form, you know, the music they made. But with any band, there's there's always like the leader, and then there's probably someone who also thinks they're the leader and fancies themselves the leader. And the kind of dynamic between those one or two or more people, you know, really kind of fuels the creative process and things like that. And I think with Fallout Boy, you know, they just would put out these records, records, and, and I think that a combination of just kind of going, 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 being nonstop, nonstop, being in the center of this kind of the eye of the storm. Um, being tired, you know, having new relationships, um, wanting to try new things musically. Um, it all kind of started to come to a head where it's like, I don't know, it's, you know, Infinity and High, I think this was Fo- Folly Adieu? Um, yes, right, right after that, 2008, yep. So, yeah, yeah. So Folly Adieu was the first time where I actually personally could sort of see this kind of shift the cracks developing yeah. for like yeah yeah but just in terms of that was the first time where we went to the studio in la to they were going to play some of the songs on that album uh for us and it was the first time i ever saw anything with fallout boy where pete wasn't there so it was the studio and it was just like patrick you know and maybe the producer maybe one of the other guys but pete was like not there and the sense that you got you know off camera we were talking before they're like yeah he's uh got a lot going on with ashley and da, da, da. so patrick really you know, sat at the mixing board and just played a lot of these songs. It also showed his prowess in terms of production and things like yeah. that and his knowledge, which was great. But you could see that Pete was a bit checked out, probably going through some shit. Um, and Patrick really kind of took the reins and really started driving the band forward. And then, you know, they go, obviously they go on the hiatus and I was like, oh, God, what am I, what am yeah. I going to do? My, my Venus Rose. But um, yeah, just looking at the bands that they came out with. And I think that, you know, like Patrick is, a really, really talented guy. And I think people knew him as the singer of Fall Boy, but they didn't know he could write and he could produce and he could, you know, he's an amazing singer. And so when he did like the whole soul punk thing, you know, I think he wanted, wanted to show off his, you know, his many sides. And, 
you know, originally it was just like him on stage. And I think he kind of realized like, I need more people because this is a lot to so do. He was but, like Matt Rubano, um, Casey Benjamin, right. Michael Day, Scooter right. Warner, You're, come over here. Yeah. <laughs> do you know that Matt Rubano played bass on Lauren Hill's Everything is everything. No, you're fucking lying yeah, yeah. to me. Why He's, are you he, saying? Wait. Who told me wait. that? Yeah, yeah. Matt Rubano is the, plays the bass in the studio on Lauren Hill's Everything is Everything. Because he was like, yeah, dude, I have like four platinum plaques from that. He's like, that was it. But he was the studio bassist for that, <laughs> that song. So and like, that's right on. Right I'm just, just like, about I, Rubano with Lauren. I know. But just on this like iconic record, he's like, Sh- I don't know how it happened, but he played bass on Everything is Everything by Lauren Hill. Um, wow. Yeah. So. You know, and then honestly, it's also wild that, you know, Pete, at the same time, like this whole soul punk, Pete was doing, was like, I'm doing black, black card, which and randomly now BB like, Rexa is, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like introduced the world to, for a, a brief moment to BB Rexa. And, but just even in terms of you saw that, like, you know, black cards, you know, Pete being uh, Jamaican ancestry and, and roots in Jamaica, there was that kind of like dubbed sort of aspect Reggae, to a lot yeah. of what they were doing and so like you could kind of feel as the bass player you know it's kind of na- na- you're natural to kind of gravitate towards that music with that like propulsive just sort of like, yeah. like and and that was what he was doing whereas you know patrick loved like you know r&b so like loved hauling oats and all this shit like yeah he is, like, he's, McCoy, a like philly, all, yeah. he's a philly he's a philly he's a philly soul guy for sure and like he was doing some, go ahead no, I was going to say the story of, I think, the the night that Travi and Patrick met was the night that Ray Charles died. So right. Patrick was, like, crying and was like, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you later, dude. Like, I, I need a moment. <laughs> right. And I was like, I, yeah. I completely believe that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, I, I mean, and just to see, like, and also it's sort of evident that, you know, I guess Joe and Andy would have, like, Joe did that, like, metal thing with, uh, like, yeah, Scott Ian. Yeah, the things. Yeah, but, right. like, he was and, also and so, listening to, like, Eclipse and Ludacris and, like, yeah. a bunch of these yeah, rappers. Yeah. So, but that was his John. But it was, I just think that you could tell that like everyone was really kind of, well, most of them, I think that like Hurley was just kind of like, I just want to hang out and do shit with my boys. I mean, he, and, like, yeah, like Fuck like, City. Like he was like, right. I'm good. Oh, I've got, I've got my the working compound. out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, baby. But you could tell that they all wanted to just sort of do their own things. And like, yeah. while that tension in the baby was kind of grinding in the bands, they really and came out being with these kind sort of, of at that age like i was like i get it like it no like, sure Patrick was yeah. 18 when he recorded take this to your grave 19 when it right. came like you know it's yeah it, it again i was patrick was like 27 i'm like 29 now when he did soul punk and it's like it is such an era of like i need to try something new i need to understand who i am and like do this for me right now yeah. um yeah. but he did something really special where he was like uh, true aunt wave was supposed to have Nicki minaj was supposed yeah. to have Childish Gambino. Idris Elba is on the album. Um, I believe yeah. he did something on Big Hype. Um, and Sid from the internet yeah. uh, was the engineer for uh, Spotlight. Gee, and I didn't I, know that at all. Yeah. Omos That's Keith wild. Of, of Frank Ocean and Sarah um, yeah. opened for Patrick at Joe's Pub during his stuff. Like wow. he had, I mean, Patrick was just like very intentional with like holding space for like black artists and like being like, if the very least I'm going to do is like have them on here because I'm so inspired by them. Right. And I think like musically, cinematically, fully I do. I mean, I will, I bring this up because it just always wrecks my mind. Like there is a Neptune's four count in a fall out Mm. boy song in whams because of Pharrell. So listen to the beginning of the song. And it's a Neptune's four count right before right. they start wilding out. Folia Do is the best album of all time, hands down. Folia Do Supremacy. Wow. Um, I don't care what anybody says. They were about to beat the fuck out of each other, and it was the best music they've ever made. <laughs> Period. I, that is, a, I, is that a commonly held? Do a lot of people now, rise? No, no. Everybody used oh, to sure. hate it, and yeah. that's fine. Sure. Y'all can love Take This to Your Grave. Y'all can love that white angsty shit. It just... It, I loved it, but like when I yeah. heard Folia do, like you even hear me now, like I, it it yeah. opened up something so crazy in my mind about how I listen to music, and I right. think it's because Patrick was begrudgingly taking these lyrics and being like, "Well, fuck you, I'm going absolutely 
wild bonkers right. on it to show you for that, sure. like, the, we, there's so many more layers to what we can be. And Hell because yeah. Pete was kind of like, there was like kind of the substitute teacher there. He was like, we're going to watch a movie today. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at the desk, like heads down. like <laughs> Yeah. Um, but that's always what was so inspiring about like the soul punk era. I, I was able to, you know, actually like talk to Patrick. Patrick gave me my first big interview, like as a journalist, like he didn't treat wow. me like this little fucking kid. And he was like, let's sit down. I think it was the last night. It was, it was the last night of his tour at the studio at Webster Hall. So you know how tiny that is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The next time I saw him was on that stage when Fall Out Boy got back together and did like right. the, the comeback show. So it was yeah. it was such a weird shift, just like being in the same room, like two very different eras. But um, that interview opened so many doors for me. I mean, I yeah. used it in That's like amazing. resumes and like college applications that he so desperately wanted me to go to college. That's a, Yeah, that's right. Um, you got to go. That's amazing. And I think it's also I just really, go. you know, talking about reading articles I wrote or things like that, it, you never really know. You can never tell what's going to connect with a certain reason. Like the reasons yeah. you said that it really connect, that fully I do really connect with you. It's incredible. Like those would not occur to me. And it's like, that's really also, also low wing. Know, yes. And Elvis I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's like this, even that where, it, you know, like just the, this band really represented what their fans were into, which was sort of everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was so much stuff that they brought into the equation and like, you know, just admittedly, I I don't I didn't hear this new record. Uh, I have my my follow up boy as I. It's uh, good. It's, it's a yeah, it's yeah. a Foley sister for sure. Like it's yeah. very cinematic. Oh, yeah. You hear a lot of Oingo Boingo, like um, huh. Danny Alfman um, stuff. Flu yeah. game is like a part two to like EXO. Like if EXO was like, okay. I comb the crowd and pick you out. Like this song is like. I guess right now I'm just a face of the crowd. Oh God, would you please kill me now? Like it's right. awesome. It's it's like really flip, really yeah. mature and good. Yeah, it sounds like a flu game, like a great Michael Jordan reference. It's like they bring I, this yeah. like they say also something like somewhere between Picasso and like um no somewhere between uh, Mike Tyson and Van Gogh. Like these right. lyrics are so good, and I think they're sampling. I really want to ask them like are y'all sampling sneakers? Cause, or maybe like making mm. the guitar sound like sneakers, like on, like on the court. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It really uh. fucked me up. I have many a question. And also <laughs> in that Kanye West remix, I'm, I, I really thought that it was Pete, Pete's laugh being sampled. Like if you hear the, right. uh, 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 like I was like, yeah. that's Pete's cackle. Like people right. are like, no, like this is the sample. I was like, but if you've heard is like that- Pete's laugh, laugh yeah. like belly laugh like that's exactly what it sounds like dude wait so is that the one where is that the one where i remember kanye has like verse and he's like making fun of how tight their pants are and stuff yeah and like, till their nuts hang <laughs> all out boy yeah that's absolutely. right absolutely like, like what a great like kanye mover is like i'm gonna be on, i'm gonna jump on your song but i'm gonna be a total fucking dick to you the fuck, but then he was like but they're at the number one spot and i want that yeah. too and then lil that's wayne right. on the mega mix did the same thing was like i don't know what the song's about like both of them were <laughs> yeah. like, like sure man yeah yeah amazing and like honestly one of the best wayne verses he goes yeah. um i'm more like an armed dealer literally like he goes Boom. so crazy yeah. and it's um yeah. that that's just the kind of stuff that really lights me up because again just like i am also an artist manager so i work in like the r&b like hip-hop scene and like yeah. just bringing all this together just makes so much sense to who i am now sure. so yeah, being able sure. to just bring it all together being able to uh storytell and and keep this the same way that your articles are online and you don't know until 10, 15, 20 years later, LOL, I'll get emotional, um, <laughs> to, to keep this, like this podcast is for right now, but it's also for later when people are right. discovering more about this band and about your specific history with them. This was our, yeah. our vessel to them. And, and we're so in doubt, indebted to that. Um, I know it was a job, but the, we still want to believe in the art. I think that's I mean, the yeah, important it, part. Yeah. It, it was a, fucking great job i mean like yeah. the older you know looking back on now in the places i've worked at since then i was like that was the mtv news thing was like a real oh korean tom cruise dan Su literally just texted me right now dude so tell him pull yeah. the fuck up let's go yo <laughs> i'll hit him up him, yeah yeah tell him thanks for but, holding down all those meet and greets that he really he really has like <laughs> going like God, yeah that's so funny it, um he i forgot the sorry what was the question <laughs> i forget what i was gonna say uh, about the impact of our stuff, like all these years later. Oh yeah, I mean, I just think that, like, again, oh, it was a that decade of just being at MTV. I was there for ten yes. years at yes. MTV. 
And so the amount of things, the people I got to meet, the places I got to go, the things that I got to see like a person, a lot of them were the follow-up way when they're like, oh, we're going to go play. We're going to set a Guinness World Record and play a show on every continent in like a I week. I get stuck so, in we got stuck in Punta, San, yeah. Punta Arenas, Chile. And we were just trapped wow. in this hotel for like a week because they – couldn't get down there. And so you know, there's a million, I mean, I got to be on TV. I got to write Pete Wentz's novel, like all this stuff. Like, Oh, but, yeah. we, oh. we didn't talk about gray, but yeah. Well, did you, have you read gray? I was uh, no, because it costs um, about $110 um, to get <laughs> right. a copy, which like go off. Um, right. but I, I have read the excerpts and I was like a touch well, too young to maybe have read it, but I am right. very familiar with the her, her, her with, Oh, great, yeah. and with martin in the right, story yeah yeah i also think yeah the other thing too it's like you know you didn't read it i don't think i've ever actually read that book either and i wrote the book so it's like, i don't think pete was, wentz has read it all the way either no That's i'm nice. sure pete wentz didn't read it i know his management did because they made me change the ending of it because it was too sad but um mm. yeah like that was just a you know like i was this writer and i, I tried for you i'm like oh i want to get a novel written and like no no publisher would care but then uh, pete wentz is like hey this dude's gonna write a novel they're like yes and to Pete's credit, and you know, just his generosity, he was, you know, people, people ghostwrite novels, all people work all the time. But Pete was very upfront about the fact, like James's name has to be on the cover of the book, which he didn't have to do. And so, just like doing stuff like that for his friends, and like, you know, was really went above and beyond and helped me out too. So, yeah, I mean, it was a job, but it was a fucking sweet job you know <laughs> like I, yeah and i was bummed when mtv news just shut down recently it's like oh, and yeah doing End stuff like era. this talking seeing stuff online in terms of people like you know sharing memories and photos and like there's a million vma like being in the the follow-up boy suite at the vmas it's like there's photos of me in the background it's just like all this what stuff do you remember of that night <laughs> what don't i i mean like i don't remember much of it. no i uh first of all that was a fucking awesome vma i remember they like gave them their own room and like baby faces in the room just hanging out um oh god who else was in there i just i also the thing i remember about that night is like down the hall i think the foo fighters had a room and damn uh well and so one of the dudes from mastodon this band was hanging yeah, out yeah. with them and then like after the show went out in vegas hammered went out in vegas and then got like jumped by some dude in maybe system of the down or something and like really fucked and like the dude got fucked up he was like got hit and he was like in a coma for like a week so like i kind of went this dude like i don't i should have done the the backstory but some dude in mastodon like almost died because he was basically jumped by a dude in another band like that was when like you know kid rock was like fighting dudes in the crowd or some shit like that but i just i think that was also one of those moments where even fallout boy kind of realized that they were like holy shit i can't believe we get to do this where they're like You get this suite at, at the the Palms Hotel, and you can have whoever you want on there, do whatever you want. Um, the cipher just, with all the masks, yeah, Travis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wayne, Brendan Yuri, right. like on the hook, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like just bringing everyone together of this era, and they're like, they definitely one of those bands that took advantage of all these opportunities because mm-hmm. I think they knew they're like, I can't believe this is happening to us. So like, yeah, let's I mean, do once this. they let's, got the yeah. Rockefeller chains, everything, anything was anything Wait, was so, possible. Anything, did, <laughs> and this is my question. And I actually was talking to Dan Dan Sue about this like randomly. He didn't. Did they actually get the Rockefeller chains? So from my understanding, because there is a interview that's offline, but because Pete Wentz showed me how to lurk on the internet, I found it and right. I have it with um. It was the the Jensen clans. Yeah, podcast. yeah, 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 so, sure, that dude, um, yeah. That, yeah, um, that dude. And um, he was basically like, hey, like, wh- like, will your kids get the chains? And he was like, Jay-Z has to come and knight them. Like, I will not give, like, the chain. <laughs> um, right. So I'd imagine it's like they have it somewhere. They have to that was have a, it somewhere. That was a big, that was a big quest of theirs for a, I remember for a hot minute, they'd be like. Because they acted be like, like oh, also. my God, we didn't know. We didn't know. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that Patrick was over here, like, with a sweat bead, like, <laughs> waiting to touch this. Like. Yeah, that was a, a quest of theirs for a, a hot minute was to get a Rockefeller chain. I remember that for sure. Their chaining day ceremony, like all they had it all planned out, and uh, yeah. What was their I'm chaining day it, ceremony shirt? Like, what was the fits? Do I, 
I said, I don't even remember. I, I didn't know if it happened or not. So I, I, again, that was yet another thing where it was apparently like, someone had reached reached for a chain, and Jay Z was like, "No, Truly. I have to put it on you." And I was like, "A hundred percent, Pete. A hundred percent, Pete." <laughs> one of the one of those things you file away where it was like, "We're definitely going to do this," and then you never hear about it again. So you're just kind of like, "I don't know if it happened or not." But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that that photo uh, that whole day of like the three the infinity on high being out and like the three right? shows that needed to that happen. was crazy crazy that was crazy like, patrick with also did gym class heroes like cupid's chokehold live mm -hmm. there with them like these are all moments so so cemented in my mind um and then being able to follow them through your words through like what mtv was able to give us um i think is such a special era that that's why i really wanted to talk to you and just like celebrate you and like thank you uh for oh, being so yeah. Authentic it's been great honestly this is to, great like, document yeah. It. yeah so all i'm asking is that i'm able to to rightfully just keep going with the torch and just keep here. documenting here. this here. stuff uh, here yeah oh, it to thank you. you thank you james um, <laughs> it's I'd official like to thank, now yeah. i'd like to thank pete wentz uh patrick stump uh andy hurley and joe Troman. thank you yeah um, that's right but th this is this is what it's about so it's like i yeah. i just wanted to Thank you, A, for being on and sharing these stories and being so incredibly just giving um, as a artist and yourself and, and what you do with how you write um, and everything else you do. So thank you. You're too kind. Uh, this is a super fun. I'm happy. Thanks for having me on. Have me back whenever you want. You know, if you got a. Oh, don't say don't that, know. baby. If I'm the queen that, of follow ups. If you, if, you, yeah, if you need someone for a quick expert, I'll jump in. But no, this is great. Like, I really appreciate it. It's great to meet you. And just again, like, for, you know, this podcast can connect people who I haven't talked to in decades. And just, it's rad to see how, you know, kids, uh, you know, I don't mean to say kids, but fans, younger kids fans. Kids with like a Z. Yeah. Yeah. It's great <laughs> to see how, you know, what they've gone out in the world and what they're doing. And you're, you know, testament to that too. And just like the way you are working with artists and things, it's, that's incredible. So I'm happy to, to hear what you're up to. And this is super fun. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much, James. So where can people find you? Where do the, you want them to find you? Or Oh, I don't want them like to find me anywhere now. Period. Now I'm an enigma now. I, you know, I, uh, I've been out of the game for a minute now. So I, uh, yeah, don't, don't look for me. I'm not out there. <laughs> Only look inward, right? Like if that's right. Me, look look in, inward. Hey, yeah. <laughs> look at yourselves. Look at yourselves first. Okay. That's what we're I'm... all a little James Montgomery. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. Well, James, thank you so, so much again for joining us. And then I have to ask, you got to give us a mouth air horn. I finish every show with this. So just give me a bow, 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 bow. Bow, 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 bow. that's what the fuck is up. Thank you so much, James. Um, let's keep in touch For uh sure. next up is we're talking about like the vma suite in 2007 2008 cfob so that might be a cute little time there to talk about i was it, but there i was there i was there <laughs> <laughs> i was there james montgomery that's the merch but thank you so that's so right. much have a great day and then we gotta go you too bye bye <laughs>